Hello and welcome to Melee's Turnwheel, the series that takes a retroactive look at the Fire Emblem series chapter by chapter. I'm your host, I'm A. Melee Kirby, and today we're taking it back to chapters 10b, 11b, 12, and 12x of Fire Emblem, The Binding Blade. Just chillin'. You know, not really, nothing. nothing's really going on. Uh, I actually am recording this at a reasonable time instead of waiting until the last minute. So hopefully I will definitely have enough time to get this edited and uploaded uh, for the weekend, but we will see. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the question from last time, which was, what is your favorite Fog of War map in the series? And I got a pretty decent variety of answers over on both Twitter and Discord. I'm going to start with the Discord ones because I found those a little bit more interesting. Uh, no offense, Twitter people, <laughs> uh, but I, I saw a lot of people talking about the new Fog of War maps from Engage. And honestly, I don't really get it personally. I don't really, I don't really see them as being any different than newer ones. I mean, I guess, I guess, or sorry, older ones. I guess there are more, I guess, torches. Uh, torches are a thing in, in other Fog of War maps in the series, but the three, or sorry, the engaged ones have torches scattered around pretty liberally. So there are patches where you can see better, which helps. I guess that's, that's something to keep in mind. But other than that, I don't really, I don't really agree. I think that the the three uh, the I keep saying that the engage fog of war maps are just as bad as the old ones. Personally, I don't I don't dislike them anymore necessarily, uh, but I don't I don't really I don't really vibe with them personally. On Twitter, I got two answers. At Biozilla says fog of war has been most tolerable for me on Fe uh, chapter twelve of Fe five and chapter 14 of FE6. You see, this is an interesting response. In fact, I'll just go ahead and read the other one right now. Uh, the other one is from Super User Person, Soup, you know, who we had on a couple episodes ago. And Soup says, Would you believe me if I said that, genuinely, Arcadia is my favorite Fog of War map? And Arcadia is FE6 chapter 14. So uh, Biozilla and Soup actually had the same answer there. And I find that very interesting because... I think Arcadia is actually one of the worst maps in in the series, uh, but I, or at least one of the worst Fog of War maps. Uh, obviously, we're, I'm not going to spend too much time on that because we're going to be talking about that in literally the next episode. But uh, I am curious kind of like what your guys' thoughts are on that. Maybe I'll ask a little bit about that uh, next time. Uh, but yeah, I, I I find that interesting. FE, FE5 Chapter 12 is also not too bad. It's a pretty warp skippable map. And then even if you don't warp skip it, it's... I mean, it's pretty easy. You can just kind of walk into the fog and not really worry about it. But, eh, you know, there's not there's not really a whole lot else to say there. Um, FE6 Chapter 9, like I said, is probably up there for me. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other ones that really stand out to me as being, like, positive or at least, like, not bad. I kind of like Ghost Ship from FE8. That one's not too bad. All the Tellius ones suck ass. I hate all of them. Yeah, I mean that's really that's really all I got. They they're mostly just bad bad it's a bad gameplay mechanic. <laughs> Who would have thought? Um but I I personally I find FE6 chapter 14 to be on the lower end because that's combining like a lot of things that I find annoying about Fire Emblem maps, but you know, again, that's a story for another day and specifically, you know, roughly 2 weeks from today or from now, I guess, from when you guys are hearing this. But yeah, FE6 Chapter 9 is definitely the one that comes to my mind. I, 
it might like I might update this at some point in the future. Maybe I'll ask the same question again later on in the series. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to try to avoid repeat questions, uh, but that might not be possible, uh, which is a good segue uh, into into this episode's question. What I want to ask you guys this time is what is your favorite route in this game, A route or B route? And I know that's, you know, I said last time I probably wasn't going to ask that because it's a pretty basic answer. Most people say A route, you know, but I'm curious to see, I guess, I guess to spice it up a little bit, maybe say why, like, is there a reason? How do you feel about 10A versus 11B? You know, obviously 11A is the main one, but like, you know, there are other maps there too that are worth talking about. So I uh, I definitely am curious what your guys' thoughts are. The main reason that I kind of went back on this is because it occurred to me that by the end of the series, I'm going to need well over 100 questions for these episodes. And I definitely don't think it's worth, you know, trying to be super creative and original in every single one. Like sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I want to know, do you prefer A route or B route? I'm going to ask the same thing for the... Uh, I'm going to actually have a backlog of questions towards the end of the game there because I, I'm going to ask like Ilya versus Sakai. I'm going to ask what's your favorite guide and chapter and I'm going to ask who's your favorite character in uh, the Binding Blade. So that'll be interesting, but I'll figure it out. Speaking of the Ilya Sakai route split, I guess I should mention this before we get into our chapters for the episode. So I was doing a little research online and I might have mentioned this earlier in in a, some episode of the podcast. I'm not sure, but I've always been under the impression, and I, I I think it's like kind of a misconception online and in like Fire Emblem community spaces that for the route split, uh, the Sakai Ilya route split, if you kill off your characters, so if you kill off Shanna and Tate, their EXP resets to zero. So you can get Sue like 10 EXP and then and get Shin no EXP. But then if you kill Shanna and Tate, then they reset to zero. So it doesn't matter. You go to Sakai anyway. That's what I was planning to do. I was planning to have Shin and Sue on the bench for the entire game. And then just when I wanted to do Sakai, I would, you know, reload a safe state, kill off Shanna, and I would be able to go to Sakai. Now, unfortunately, that is not how it works. It does actually keep track of the experience that they gained before they died, and that is factored into the route split decision. So I'm going to have to scramble a little bit to grind up Shin. That's probably my best bet. I have a couple ideas on how to do this. I could, and I, I am considering this option. I might arena grind and use safe states to do it. I, I really don't want to arena grind without safe states. It is possible but I, I don't feel comfortable doing it, especially since the the arena, the only arena between now and the route split is at the end of chapter 13, I think. Uh, so it's not really it's not really worth, you know, risking having to redo the entire chapter just for that. So that's option one. I'm going to save that as my last resort. I don't really want to have to use safe states, but if it, I, I prefer the rule of going to every map, playing every map and experiencing every map so I could talk about it in more detail. I prefer to like that rule kind of like takes priority over the no safe state rule, especially if it's for something so minor, like I'm not using it to cheese any maps or anything like that. It's just to make sure that I can get the route split. So, you know, it, it, I, I would compare it to the fact that I use safe states to like 
reload and then go through the other route split. You know, like I, to me, it's the same vein, but you know, I, I try to use them sparingly, so I might not do that. The other option I'm considering is, well, first of all, I'm on normal mode. Normal mode isn't that hard, so I'm thinking I could just like use Shin. I'm I'm on chapter 13 now. You get him in chapter nine. That's not a huge setback. Like I can still probably use Shin, uh, but failing that, the other thing I can do is boss abuse uh chapter 13 has a particularly abusable boss because his weapon is very easily breakable so if i wanted to i could just get shin you know up to a decent level on the boss of chapter 13 but i'm not 100 percent sure don't really know what i want to do it doesn't particularly matter uh you guys are just it's going to be pretty seamless for you guys anyway um but yeah so i just wanted to keep you guys in the loop about that uh because yeah, I mean, I, it's something that's that's going to factor into some decisions I make with how I play the, the maps going forward. The other thing that I should mention, well, I guess this isn't this isn't really relevant right now, but um, talking about like not doing maps has got me thinking. And I'm I, I'm pretty sure unless there's any I'm forgetting, there is only one map in the series that I will not personally be playing. And that is the Ellawood mode exclusive map towards the end of the game where you get Durandal. It is a late game map, or at least, yeah, no, it's a late game map. I think it, I think it qualifies as late game. And I'm not playing through all of Ellawood route just to talk about one, uh, one exclusive map. I'm just not doing it. The, the Ellawood map at the beginning of the game is fine because I can just, you know, quickly load a safe state, but the end game one, no, I can't do it. It's the only map in the entire, I think literally the entire series that I will not be playing myself. I will, of course, talk about it still. I'll probably watch a Let's Play or look at, you know, the wiki and talk a little. I mean, I have played the map before, so it's not like I don't have any experience with it, but it does feel a little weird. Maybe I will play Ellawood mode. If I do Ellawood normal, it's so easy. I could probably just like beeline through it in a day. I, I have to think about it. I don't know. It's again, we have a whole other game to talk about this. The only reason I'm even bringing it up is because we're on the subject of, you know, possibly missing maps anyway. Like I I would not have been I'm glad I caught this when I did because if this came later, if this came like if I if I didn't learn this until it was time for the route split, you guys would not be hearing me talk about Sakai. I can tell you that much because I'm not reloading uh to talk about to talk about the entire route split, but yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know, I do think that I'm going to be able to play literally every other map in the series. Uh, Well, okay, possibly excluding like DLC, but at least every main story map in the entire series, except Ellawood mode, FE7, chapter, whatever it is, I don't know. The one where you get Durandal, it takes place in the chapter 8x cave, basically. So it's, it's I don't know, Um, I'm, I'm playing Hector mode for that, so. Doesn't really matter. I'm sure you guys don't care that much. It's just, it's it's a matter of pride for me. So maybe I will just play Ellawood mode. I'm not sure, but don't count on it. Anyway, we're over 10 minutes in and I am rambling. So we're going to go ahead and get into our chapters for the episode, starting with chapter 10b, Amidst a Struggle. This breaks down basically the same way that it did in the previous route split. Roy hears about 
something going on in the Western Isles, and he decides to follow up. This time he hears about the resistance forces fighting in the West, so he decides that he's going to go check out those resistance forces. And he comes across a village where there's a man named Elfin, who we did talk about. Um, we did actually see him at the end of A Route, but here we get to encounter him a little bit earlier. Elfin is the leader, or sorry, not the leader. Is he the leader? He's like the uh, a prominent member of the resistance forces. Uh, so the people here in the town, you know, the bad guys, Etruria, they want to capture him so that they can, uh, you know, they can put a stop to the rebellion. So they're hunting for Elfin, uh, basically, through this town. And that doesn't mean anything mechanically. I, it would be kind of cool if they did, uh, if it did. Like, if there were soldiers, like, going through the town and you had to stop them before they got to a certain spot. That'd be kind of neat, but uh, that's not how it works. It's just it's just the framework for the story. There's a similar scene to the one we got in Chapter 11a, where a milady comes and talks to the boss here. I don't even remember his name, to be honest, and I'm not going to look it up. But she talks to him and asks if he knows where Princess Guinevere is, and he says no, and she goes and talks to Gale. We don't actually get the Gale backstory in this one. Uh, it's mostly just, you know, I, I, the conversation was not particularly memorable, but... Basically, she says, I'm going to go check with Orlo, and then if Orlo, because you know, that's that's the conversation that we see in chapter uh, 11a. So if Orlo doesn't have her or doesn't know where she is, then I'm just going to go back to the mainland. Uh, but yeah, Gail, Gail just kind of like nods along. We, we don't get that backstory here, which I think is a shame. Uh, I, I don't remember liking Gail very much, so maybe it's not really that big of a deal. But, you know, at least he has something to work with in A-Route, whereas in this he just kind of does and... Then the chapter begins, and you're going to notice that it's pretty similar to chapter 11a in some regards. It is, uh, it's a village map, a la chapter 7, and the goal here is to get to the throne and capture it, of course, like every map, but along the way, there's going to be a lot of houses that you need to visit in, in order to get cool stuff, and there's a bunch of recruitable characters along the way. The most notable difference here, though, is that it's a little bit more annoying to get through this map than it is 11A. Uh, 11A, well, it, it kind of is and it isn't. 11A is pretty linear. There are technically two ways you can go. I guess there's also a third way. I'm pretty sure you can go down the left side in 11A, but like, why would you ever do that? Uh, there are technically two ways you can go, but the right side requires you breaking a wall that takes forever. And it just doesn't really, like, there's no reason to. You can just kind of go in a straight line. And I feel like that worked for 11A. I do usually like it when you have incentives to split up your army. Uh, but it also works when there's more of a focused, linear path that you're intended to go down. You know, you're supposed to be making a beeline for these villages. So it doesn't really matter that you're all going the same way. Uh, at least that's how I see it. Chapter 10B does things a little bit differently. The houses are a lot more scattered around. And you're incentivized a lot more to split up your group because the wall... Uh, to access the left side of the map that is much closer and and is honestly like faster probably than going around uh, so so rather than the wall kind of just being an out of the way annoyance it is actually a viable strategy to just break the wall down and give yourself a little shortcut up to the top side of the map you are going to need to go there for some houses and also some other side objectives uh, so it's a worthwhile shortcut to take uh, and then the right side you, is the way you access the boss without breaking any walls, but you don't really need to do that. You can just break some walls. Um, there's a lot, basically there's a lot more breakable walls in this, in this, uh, chapter. 
and it's it's not bad. I, I, I do think the walls being so bulky is a little annoying, but I also like that they're actually used to decent effect here. And what I also enjoy is that there's incentive to have Shanna kind of like flying from one side to the other. Like there's walls kind of all up around these houses. It can be a little bit difficult to navigate. There's enemies that are going to try to take pot shots towards you uh, over the wall. But Shanna is able to cut between both sides of the map pretty effortlessly. Uh, so she is able to do a lot of cool things, you know, like killing enemies on one side of the map to help make things easier for your guys going up the middle. And then if she needs to, like, quickly get over to the other side to rescue drop somebody, uh, she can do that. And she can help, you know, take people over the walls. Uh, there's there's a lot more for Shanna to do on this map, I feel like, compared to chapter 11a where she basically either just went with your main group or she could fly over the wall to go to like the shops in the middle which didn't really do anything because there are some archers there so it's not like she could really go in and pull a whole bunch of enemies you kind of needed to be careful with her so yeah i kind of like that aspect of it it is a lot longer and a little bit more tedious but i i do think chapter 10b is a pretty solid map it's not as good as 11a but i i I genuinely quite like it. I think it's a, it's a really solid map all around in terms of like your side objectives and things like that. It's a, it's a pretty fun premise for a map, I guess, or a, a, a framework for a map, I guess would be the right word. There are two houses here that are worth talking about. I mentioned this in the SSS episode on Lot and Wade, but two of these houses are actually theirs. They are from this village in the Western Isles. And if you visit the houses with them, then not only do you get unique dialogue, you get extra rewards. Uh, only only two of the houses. One of them has Wade's sister, Mary. And if you visit it normally, like with anyone who isn't Lot or Wade, you get a door key. Whereas if you visit it with Lot or Wade, you get a, uh, a sword reaver. That's what it is. And <laughs> the other one is a much bigger deal. So Lot's little sister, Mew, I guess is her name. She normally gives you an elixir which is pretty nice, you know, elixirs are good in this game, but if you visit with Lot or Wade, you get a speed wing, which is huge, especially if you're playing hard mode, it makes things a lot easier for you. Now, I'm a dumbass, and I forgot to bring Lot or Wade, I usually bring them to just to get the dialogue, I like seeing the extra dialogue here, but I didn't bother this time, I was like, you know, I can just look up the dialogue on the wiki or whatever, I did not realize, I'm sure I knew this at some point, but I must have forgotten, that you get unique village, uh, you you get unique rewards, and that the rewards were way better. <laughs> so I didn't get the speedwing. Basically, is what I'm trying to say, and it's not that big of a deal. I mean, normal mode isn't that hard, so I can I can live without it. It's not that big of a deal, but it is worth mentioning. Speedwings are very helpful. There are a lot of characters coming up who would benefit a lot from the speedwings. We get Bartray, Ray, Milady, you know, all these characters who you know definitely want a little bit of extra boost. To their speed and you know not to mention if you have any characters who you already have who want a little bit of a boost to their speed i definitely could use that speed wing to good effect but uh you know it is what it is not that big of a deal the dialogue here is very cute and endearing i particularly want to draw attention to wade's conversation with lot's sister and then lot's conversation with wade's sister so wade we talked about this in the sss support but wade is is honestly at least he presents himself as being kind of childlike intellectually. So this conversation with Mew is so funny because he's talking to this like eight year old and he, I don't know. It's just, it's just very funny. It's like two children talking to each other. 
Uh, at one point, he says, it's dangerous here. Go hide in the hills. And Mew pauses for a second and says, alone? <laughs> and, of course, Wade then says, oh, well, you know, my sister will take you. But I just think that that's, that's funny that Mew legitimately was like, you're not you're not serious right now, are you? But I thought it was cute. Uh, of course, you know, Lot's conversation with her is also very cute, but it's a lot more standard what you would expect. Now, interestingly, the conversation between Lot and Mary, who is Wade's sister, has something of a romantic undertone to it, which I don't, th- I could be misremembering, but I don't think that that ever came up in their supports, uh, you know, Lot or Wade's support with each other. And, you know, again, I might be misremembering, or maybe there was something in there that I just didn't notice at the time, but there's definitely some, some kind of, you know, some feelings in here, I, I, I feel like. I mean, she says, um, you know, they're talking a little bit, and Lot says, you know, I'll be back, and, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to return to you guys, and Mary says, but I'll be waiting until eternity. And, you know, there's just a little bit more. I, I don't know. I just I, I get the implication here that she has feelings for him or he has feelings for her. You know, it's reciprocal, whatever it may be, um, which I think is is cute. And it's interesting that that doesn't even get brought up in their support. It's like this is the only opportunity you have to pick up on that. And it's still, you know, pretty subtle, I would say. So I like it. I think that's a cool little detail. Unfortunately, I did not get this dialogue or the fun, fancy rewards, but. If you do, then uh, it is, it's definitely worth, if you want them, it's worth bringing Lot or Wade or both uh, to this chapter, even if you don't actually expect them to be able to do anything. The hard part is that this chapter is, I wouldn't say it's like super difficult or anything. It's definitely not as hard as 11A, but it's not easy either. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend, well, I guess that's not, I would recommend bringing one of them so that you can get the speed wing, but just from like a pure utilitarian standpoint, it doesn't make sense to waste two character slots or two deployment slots on two dead weight characters that you haven't used since chapter two um which i I assume is going to be the case for most people i I know some people like lot and wade and you know they might use them but for the majority of players you're not going to have that experience so you're you're just going to end up you know deploy most people aren't even going to think to deploy lot and wade here because there's like i guess because both both of the houses mention them by name like if you visit lot's house Mew mentions Lot, and if you visit Wade's house, Mary mentions Wade. So you could reset and bring them, I guess. Um, I guess that's supposed to be your hint. But by the time you get to them, they're just like, you're, you're like halfway through the map already. I don't know. It's it's a little bit sloppy, but I, I guess, you know, the, the rewards, especially the Speedwing, are so good that I feel like it's it's worth it. And I guess you could also consider this to be uh, a reference to FE5, where both of these give you like unique rewards uh, based on the Axe Bro that you visit them with. Although in this case, both Lot and Wade, you could bring just one of them and get the unique reward from both. It's not exclusive to Lot or Wade. There are a few recruitable characters in this map, as there were in Chapter uh, 11A. We have Gonzalez. Gonzalez is actually the first to show up. Uh, He is, just like before, he is with some people who want him to destroy a village. Just like before, you recruit him with Lilina, you know, all the same stuff, basically. He spawns up near the top of the map, uh, so you do need to get Lilina up there pretty quickly. I mean, he doesn't spawn super fast or anything, so you can take your time. It's not it's not really a, a tricky uh, prospect. But uh, talking to Gonzalez with Lilina will recruit him, and he's pretty good. Uh, I think you could argue he's better than he is on A-Route, because he joins at chapter, or at level 10. 
which means he can promote immediately. And that gives him a lot of benefits from promoting right away, whereas the A route version has to wait a little bit. But the plus side is you're probably going to have a little bit more room to grow because you don't have to deal with uh, reduced EXP gain from promoting uh, as fast with uh, with him. You're going to get EXP faster. You're going to level up faster, things like that. The older games don't really have an internal level system. Internal level is something that we see in, I think, Fates is the game that introduced it. Uh, where basically if a character, you know, instant promotes at level 10, as, as opposed to a character who promotes at level 20, that will be, that will, uh, you know, affect their EXP gain accordingly. So a character who's level 10 promoted one will get EXP faster than a character who's level 20 promoted one because their internal level is different. Um, that's not a concept that's seen in the series uh, for a little while, though. So in this in this game, if you instant promote, then your EXP gain slows down to a crawl pretty pretty dramatically. So I tend to not promote instantly. I usually wait until level fifteen ish, give or take. Uh, but you know, obviously, if if you want that, you know, the option is there. It makes Gonzalez a lot more viable in the short term, whereas I think A route makes him. Maybe not a lot more viable in the long term, but definitely like a fair bit more viable in the long term. So it kind of depends on on how you want to go about training Gonzalez, I suppose. Next up, we have Klein and Tate. I'm not even going to bother talking about these guys because we already talked about them in A route and they don't really have any differences in their stats like Gonzalez did. Well, so I should mention Gonzalez actually has identical stats on B route compared to A route, which is why I'm like, he doesn't, he doesn't get those extra levels and those are like added to his stats, like averages. No, he just has the exact same stats. So, uh, it is a little weird to, to, uh, to see compared to A, from A route to B route. Um, but Klein and Tate don't really have those issues. I think like the stat variants can be like a little bit different, but it's, it, it but that, I think that's only on hard mode anyway. So it doesn't matter. You go about recruiting them and you go about recruiting them in the same way. I will say it is actually like way, way, way harder to keep Tate's, uh, Pegasus Knights alive in this chapter compared to 11A. 11A, they, you know, they spawned pretty far away from the action and you were, you had plenty of time to like kill all the guys and make sure that they didn't, you know, have an opportunity to attack the Pegasus Knights. The only reason I lost a Pegasus Knight and didn't get the Elysian Whip in Chapter 11a, I might have mentioned this, is because I wasn't able to recruit Echidna fast enough. So uh, while Tate's group was still red, she just ran up and fucking just owned one of them. It was honestly really funny, but unfortunately I did not get the Elysian Whip. Now, um, in this chapter, I still had the entire right side of the map that had was full of enemies. And Tate's green unit soldiers are just so brain dead. They just ran right up and started attacking. One of them actually suicided on a an archer. Like they ran up and attacked him with a javelin because he, they couldn't get the close range, and he just like retaliated and, and killed them because of course they did. Why wouldn't they? It was funny. Uh, so maybe don't go this route if you want the Elysian Whip. I do think it's a fair bit harder to get the Elysian Whip in 10B compared to 11A, but you know your mileage may vary, I suppose. And then Klein, you know, Klein's group is still is still basically the same. There's nothing really to report there. You know, honestly, for how long this map took, I really don't have much else to say about it. You know, you you get you go around, you get the villages, and you kill the boss. The boss is a little bit tricky. I would say he's a little bit tougher than Orlo, um, and obviously way tougher than Nord. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's really all I have to say. 
it's uh it's a good map it's a it's a solid map uh, unfortunately 11a is i would definitely say the superior one but i do think that this really makes a solid argument like like i when i replay this game i i've played the, i played the, through this game a few times and i genuinely there are playthroughs where i just want to go to b route you know and and like i prefer a route personally i guess that's that's me giving away the answer to the next episode's question but doesn't matter um i i prefer a route but there are legitimate times that i feel like going b route is is more fun i'm just in more in the mood for it part of that is due to next chapter as well i think next chapter is a lot more fun than 10a but you know we'll talk about that in just a moment i suppose so they capture the castle roy meets elfin and they talk about i don't He's like, hey, join the resistance, and he's like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, basically, all the same stuff that happens in in with Lalum in in a route. Um, interestingly, we don't actually see Lalum in this route at all. At least, I not that I remember. I'm pretty sure she's just not there at all, which is interesting. We do see Lalum in a route, and of course, she um, and then Elfin's there too. So, so we get both of them, but doesn't really matter. Now. Next chapter is chapter 11b, which is called Flight Towards Freedom. And basically, Roy is here with Elfin uh, with the intention of freeing some prisoners. So this is where basically the men who are being sent to work in the mines are held until they are ready to be sent to the mines, basically. So it's like a holding facility. And Elfin wants Roy to assist in freeing some prisoners. Uh, now, the prisoners have already actually escaped due to Elfin kind of like pulling some strings, getting some spies in on the inside to let them out. And so all you need to do is make sure that you get to them and, and help them out and let them escape. And if you get if you let them escape, then you uh, you get a reward at the end of the chapter, which I don't remember what it is. I think it's like a promotion item or something. It's uh, or a, maybe a stat booster. It's pretty good. So you're definitely going to want to do this. Uh, keeping the villagers safe is like really not that hard on on normal mode. Uh, the only really, like, realistic threat to their safety is a ballista in the center of the map. But on normal mode, that's, like, really piss easy to go and just knock out with Shanna. So you don't really have to worry about it. Now, the map here is, sp is split into two paths. You can go left or you can go down. I sent one group left. I sent one group down. It was fine. It worked out pretty well. Uh, there's not really a whole lot. We are seeing promoted enemies here which is pretty cool. There's a berserker. I think there was a sniper at some point. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to break out the big guns, but, uh, I was able to take them down. No problem. A lot of my units are doing pretty well. Uh, especially in a route. I, uh, I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but, uh, you know, I did end up continuing from a route. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not really, there's ballista here that, you know, the, other than the one in the center of the map, there's also one near the bottom that you can take care of. Uh, it's really, it's really straightforward. I actually found this map to be really, really easy and it did not take me very long to beat. Uh, chapter 10A, I would say is a bit harder, but still not, still not too, too bad. Uh, the enemy density is a lot higher in, in 10A, I feel like. And then the enemies are about as strong. So, you know, and, uh, this is where we get our other characters for this, uh, route split. So we get geese pretty early on. I'm pretty sure this is literally the exact same cutscene with the exact same dialogue. He leaves the village. You talk to him with Roy. You recruit him. Everything I said about him on A route applies on B route as well. So really nothing to report there. Oh, I did forget to mention Elfin. 
Elfin is a B route exclusive. He is the equivalent of Lalum on A route. He is a bard, uh, which in earlier games actually was different. You know, you had like Lewin and then Homer, who were basically mages, uh, is what bard was in the older games. But no, in this game, bard is just, it's just dancer. Uh, it's just functionally identical to the dancer class, which is what Lalum is. Uh, so Elfin is, uh, is the Lalum equivalent, which is good. Dancers are great. I already explained why. Uh, I think there's like some slight differences in their stats, but nothing that actually matters in any capacity. You're just going to be using them to, uh, to dance anyway. So their stats really, really don't matter. Once you get a few, a solid few turns into the map, these guys take a while to show up. I was actually almost done by the time they got here. Uh, we see, uh, one other new unit, and this is another B route exclusive. Uh, his name is Bartray. Bartray is the equivalent in B route to A route's Echidna. Uh, rather than being a warrior, though, he is a, or sorry, rather than being a hero, he is a warrior. He joins with, uh, A axes and I think like D or C bows. Uh, no, Debo's, Debo's for sure. Um, and he's okay. I would definitely say Echidna is better, but also Bartre has his uses as well. He is a very, very, very strong boy. He has 22 base strength, whereas some of my characters aren't even cracking double digits yet. Um, now, practically, his offense is a lot lower on paper or a lot lower in practice than it is on paper because he can't double he's pretty slow but he's be he's beefy he's bulky he takes a lot of damage he does a lot of damage and honestly like he's he's a he's pretty solid i, I don't really have much to say about him other than like worse echidna maybe but he's still pretty good I, I i can respect that you recruit him by the way by talking to him with fur who is his daughter uh, so Bartre, I don't know why, um, Fear's, Fur's dad is just chilling in the Western Isles. I guess we'll see some of that more with his supports. Um, Bartre, weirdly enough, I don't know why they picked him of all people. Uh, Bartre is one of the few characters to return in the prequel, Fire Emblem 7, uh, where we, you know, we kind of see him just chilling in, uh, in Fairy. So we do kind of get more history on him in a later game. Uh, but for now, we kind of just have to infer that, you know, he's just helping out the resistance. He's just a cool dude. Uh, his interaction with fur here is pretty funny. Uh, he's just like, oh, you know, don't you want your dear old dad to, to help you, you know, help you along your journey? Uh, basically guilt trips her into, uh, into joining up with Roy. Uh, it's, it's quite enjoyable. I, I like Bartray. Um, just his introduction here, I should say. I don't really remember any of his supports or if they're any good or not, but I guess we will see. And yeah, B route's really not that complicated to talk about. Um, I, I think, well, because I think a lot of the, the stuff that took up time in the previous episode in A route was the different characters that we recruited. And we really don't need to talk about any of them here because we've already seen all of them except for Bartray. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's really all there is to chapter 11B. It's pretty fun. I like, you know, like I said, I like incentivized, uh, army splitting. I think that that's pretty good. Whereas uh, 10A and 11A are relatively more linear and provide you with very little incentive to split up your army. In fact, it actively disincentivizes you, I would say. So I, I enjoy playing 11B every now and again, just to mix things up. Again, I, I generally prefer A route, but I do think B route has some valid reasons to be played. And uh, I'll, I'll go back to, to B route every now and again. So 
B route done. That was fast. We're already, we're not even, uh, we're like barely a half an hour into the episode and we're already done with two of our, our, uh, four maps, but the next two are going to take a little bit longer to get into. So let's go ahead and start talking about chapter 12, which is called the true enemy. So this, this is partially the end of last chapter as well, but basically Elfin does the same thing that he did last time, which, you know, he gives Roy that little test and says, oh, you know, Fere or Lycia might be in danger, but Roy says, I don't care. We need to help the people on the Western Isles because I trust that my people on the mainland will help us, but the people here only have us to rely on, you know, that sort of thing. Same concept as what happened in the, in the previous episode, in the previous episode. Yeah. So 11A. And then Elfin directs Roy to go to Jutes or Utes. I don't know how to pronounce it, but the, uh, the, capital of the western isles basically where where lord Accardo is sitting in his throne uh and and profiting off of the suffering and slavery of so many people here on the western isles so roy attacks jutes and is hoping to oust etruria out of of their power here basically oh and i should mention that i i i briefly touched on this earlier but i did continue from the a route save file i i compared stats they were mostly the same across both routes but i think my dorothy was a little bit better in a route so i ended up going going for a route um not really you know doesn't really matter all that much but just so you guys know that's that's where i'm at so i have a kid now on my team i have lalum you know that sort of thing i'm pretty sure those are literally the only differences uh effectively at least as far as you guys are concerned the opening narration of chapter 12 brings up something that I find pretty interesting, which is that Accardo, who is in charge of the kind of operation here on the Western Isles, he's a member of the nobility, but he's not really that important or relevant to the court in Etruria. So Elfin speculates that they should be able to just kill him without any serious repercussions or at least you know like comparatively you know as opposed if they killed someone like a cardo or not a cardo a roritz or someone similar you know uh so they can kind of just get away with this which i think is funny you know he's he's kind of a loser and that's kind of exemplified uh in a minute as well when we actually get to see him for the first time now i don't remember if it was speculated earlier but at some point, I think it came up that Byrne was working with Etruria, possibly like there was a rumor going around that that was the case. But now we see here that it is confirmed because Accardo is speaking to a guy named Flyer, who is a Byrne soldier, basically a Byrne, you know, commander. And, you know, it seems like they're collaborating and Flyer says, hey, listen, you take off, we'll take care of it. Uh, you know, do, do go, go do what you got to do basically. And Accardo takes off flyer kind of talks shit about him behind his back. At some point he mentions that they have some kind of secret weapon and it's revealed a short while later that it is actually uh, a dragon. So we heard about the dragons, you know, being the ones that kind of came and helped fuck up Hector uh, in chapter three. So we know that burn has dragons, but this is our first time actually seeing one. Uh, and he is Tough, for sure. We'll talk a little bit more about him because he's the boss of this chapter. Eventually, we start seeing them, actually not too much longer, before we start seeing them as just normal enemies. Uh, but for now, you know, he's he's the boss of the chapter. He is, you know, powerful enough to justify that. But I guess it's, like, not entirely common knowledge that the dragons are back. Like, 
people have heard about it, but it's not like no one's been able to confirm it or very few people have been able to confirm it. Makes sense, right? Because like, I'm sure most of the times they've brought dragons, they've won and killed everybody who could have, you know, corroborated the stories. But, you know, it's it's worth mentioning because we see here that there's a character uh, peeking into the room where Flyer is talking with this dragon. Uh, and that character is Ray, uh, who's a character, you know, a recruitable character we're going to talk more about in just a second. But he sees what's going on and he's like, huh, um, this is cool. I want to learn more about this dragon. So I'm going to pretend to be a burned soldier to kind of stay close to the uh, to the action so I can see that dragon, you know, up close. Um, and he kind of goes off into the corner and does his own thing for a while. Oh, and they also mention, I think it comes up in this opening conversation. Uh, if not, either way, I'll just say it here. There is a Gaiden uh, attached to this chapter, chapter 12X. And in order to get it, you need to beat the chapter in a certain number of turns. I want to say it's like 25 or something. It's a very generous turn limit. Let me double check, though. Okay, it's chapter 20. Uh, and also, Elfin needs to be alive. I've actually never heard that before. So that actually makes, technically, makes this uh, chapter a little bit harder to get in B route. Because Lalum can die in A route, and, and you'll still go to this chapter. That's interesting. I never knew that, actually. But um, 20 turns is not... I wouldn't say it's, like, impossible to fail this Gaiden chapter requirement. But it's it's... You'd have to be playing pretty slowly to get... Up to, t uh, up to turn 20 without beating the chapter. Now, you're going to want to make sure that you bring a dragon slaying weapon. I mean, I guess at this point, we only have one, and that is um, Durandal. Although, also, I think the Worm Slayer, just the, the actual regular Worm Slayer works just fine. You need to make sure you bring one of those, because otherwise you're going to have a hard time killing him. I forgot to bring one, uh, and... I was fine because I had magic. Magic can deal with him pretty well, but he's and he's like really slow, so it's really easy to double him. But you know, it definitely takes takes a lot longer than it should uh, compared to just bringing Durandal. You want to make sure you don't use Durandal too much because you need it to be in. Uh, you need it to not break before the end of the game in order to get the true ending. But you can use it sparingly every now and again, and this is definitely one of the places where it's like reasonable to bust it out. I think. So once you're all set with the battle preparations and everything like that, you can go ahead and start the chapter. Your army is going to start off split into two, um, and both kind of have to like deal with with some stuff going on on either side. Uh, there's a couple of treasure rooms, uh, chests, and things like that. The centerpiece of this map, though, is that there is a it, it's kind of a, a, a series of narrow hallways with enemies peppered throughout, like in inside the walls. They're in your walls. Um, and they can attack you from two range and, you know, you have to, you, the, your, your list of viable one, two range options in this game is actually pretty low. Javelins and hand axes are so inaccurate and don't do a lot of damage. Um, bows are nice, obviously, but you're probably not going to be using a lot of bow units. Magic is good, but a lot of the guys in here have high resistance. And then the ones that don't, are probably going to hit your squishy mages pretty hard. So there's not a lot of like great ideal options for dealing with them. Um, there is a wall that you can break, which makes it so that you can go inside and just, you know, like start killing them um, at, at one range. You don't have to deal with them. That is a viable option. I've never done that before, though, because the wall is so tanky. It takes, you know, it, it has 100 HP like every other wall in this game. So I and it's also guarded by a sniper. So unless you're attacking it at two range, there's only one tile you can attack it from. 
that's like safe from the archer and or the sniper rather and the sniper hits pretty hard so i usually just leave it there and deal with the consequences it's not usually too bad to just like kill them or or tank their attacks off um but it's interesting you know i kind of like that idea of like i mean it reminds me a little bit of um they built a whole chapter around this concept in fe5 uh balustraria which is you know like it was even named after the concept of uh being able to shoot people through walls um so they kind of like repeat that idea here. And I think, I think it's interesting, uh, a little bit annoying, but not in a bad way, you know, like, like it, it encourages you to come up with like, with a counterplay here, which some people might be able to do. Others might not. I like it. Now there are two recruitable characters in this chapter. One of which we've actually seen before. And it's Kath, uh, good old Kath. Um, she is finally recruitable. So the way that she works, and I have, I've kind of like alluded to this, but I'm going to explain right here how she actually works. So in various chapters throughout FE6, Kath will show up. We've obviously seen her in chapter six. We've seen her in chapter eight. Uh, and now she's in chapter 12. I think she's also in chapter 16. I want to say she's in chapter 20, it, like regardless of the route that you play. And then chapter 22. So she's in, in five maps, no, six maps total across the game, I think. Like, give or take. There might be one I'm forgetting, or maybe she isn't actually in chapter 20. I don't remember. Regardless, she will join you after you speak to her with Roy three times. So the earliest that you can get her is in this chapter, chapter 12. And that's what I usually do. Um, I mean, some people just kill her off, which is viable, um, because she, I think in chapter eight, she causes more thieves to spawn. So she's a little bit annoying. Um, but if you actually want to recruit her, like I did, uh, she is, you know, you could, this is the earliest you can get her. Theoretically, if you waited, you could get her as late as chapter 22, like literally the last chapter of the game, if you're not doing the true ending. Uh, so she, she gets around. She's kind of all over the place. Uh, but the earliest you can get her is here. And I think that's where most people are going to get her if they get her at all. Now, let's talk about, <laughs> I've, I've mentioned that I actually do like Kath as a character. I think her introduction is pretty strong. I like her conversations with Roy prior to when she joins. And I'm very excited. Uh, she's going to be, uh, if you remember, in the next SSS episode. So we'll talk more about her character then. But in terms of gameplay, I have to say Kath is like, really really comically bad like i really don't know what they were thinking with this she has such bad base stats i think she has like three base speed and like d rank swords at base um her growth rates are like fine for this game but they're they're not high compared to like chad's um or even astor i think has like comparable or better growths than her um and of course, you know, on top of all of that, she can't even promote. She can't even become, um, you know, like a promoted unit. So even even if you train her, you put as many levels into her as you can, she's still going to come out looking really bad. And, uh, you know, it's it's ultimately not really worth using her. Um, I do like her. And I actually just did a draft of FE6, um, like a randomizer that... I uh, I recruited her or I, I drafted her. I haven't actually gotten to her yet. We just started this. I finished drafting like literally an hour ago or so. Um, so I don't know what she's actually like, but um, we'll see, I guess. Anyway, um, she's pretty good. Um, I've been doing this thing where, as a, as a character, I've been doing this thing on the subreddit. I don't really use Reddit very much anymore, but, uh, you know, every, every time I've, I've finished one of the games, 
I've gone on and I've changed my flair to the character from the most recent game uh, on the podcast that I came away liking a lot more than I expected. So for FE4, I changed it to Shannon. And FE5, I changed it to Abel. And I have a hunch, I could be wrong, but I have a hunch that when I finish FE6, I'm going to change it to her. I still need to read her supports. I just, like, she made a really strong impression on me in the Chapter 8 conversation. So maybe, maybe I'm hyping her up a little bit too much. But um, I am ex- I'm really excited to see more of her supports because I think she has the potential to be a really great character. I'm excited to learn more about her. Okay, anyway. Uh, no, sorry, she has E-rank swords at base. What in God's name? Okay, let me, let me, okay. She's a level 5 thief, okay? 3 base strength, 16 HP, 2 defense, 1 resistance, 5 constitution. Uh, 11 speed. That's not, 11 speed isn't even good at this point in the game. Like, it's, it's, she's fucking awful. And if she had, like, a hundred percent growth rates across the board she would still be awful but at least she'd be like kind of fun to use i guess but no she has 80 hp 40 strength 45 skill 85 speed which is really high but uh 50 luck 15 percent defense and 20 percent resistance she's really 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 bad and honestly i i genuinely don't know what they were thinking when they designed her like this I mean, I guess they, they were thinking that you might have, you know, you might be playing an Iron Man and you killed off Chad and Astor. So I guess under those circumstances, she might be pretty useful. I'm not sure. And then the second recruitable character is Ray, that character that I mentioned earlier. You're going to notice that he just looks identical to Lou, except they drew like angry eyebrows on him and <laughs> you give him like an evil smile. Um, other than that, he's, he just looks identical to Lou. So, um, in fact, I think they name drop him in, in Lou's chapter. So you obviously know that like Lou knows him. You can also recruit him with Chad. And then I think that's it. So, um, in playthroughs where I don't use Lou, I usually bring Chad to this map anyway because it's a it's, it's actually a, a pretty smart piece of game design um, because you're probably going to bring Lou to, or bring Chad to this chapter anyway um, because he's a thief um, and, and it's useful to be able to loot the chests. So, you you know, you're much more likely to have Chad um, compared to like, you know, if you if you're not using Lou. I don't know. You get what I'm trying to say. There's a pretty high likelihood that you're bringing Chad to this map, which makes it easy to recruit Ray. And Ray is a shaman, otherwise known as a dark mage. Now, unlike FE5, we do actually get a decent number of these guys in FE6. We get three total. Uh, we get two unpromoted shamans and then a promoted druid later in the game. I do actually like the the change in name from uh, shaman to or from from dark mage to shaman and from sorcerer to uh, druid i think that, that that is an interesting like flavor thing that we'll talk more about in fe7 but in general the the concept of like dark magic not necessarily being evil but more like primordial eldritch kind of like in nature you know like i think that's a cool idea and i think that's kind of reflected like he's like shaman and druid aren't traditionally like I mean, granted, they're not usually portrayed well or, like, kindly. They're often stereotyped, but they're not usually portrayed as, like, straight-up evil, especially not nowadays. Um, so I do like that, that the connotation change is, is pretty significant. Um, but anyway, in terms of the druids in this game, 
Um, it's kind of funny because they, they did it in a really interesting way. One of them is a contender for the worst unit in the entire series. She's so bad and everywhere. We'll talk about her in a later, in a later episode. I think next episode, actually. And then the pre-promoted druid is honestly really, really good because she has good bases and fantastic weapon ranks. And just in general is a, is a great unit and has a lot of great utility. And Ray basically sits right in the middle. He is perfectly fine. He's salvageable, but I would say he's like definitely below average for this point in the game. His bases are not good um, by any like like he's they're not terrible, but they're not they're not standout. Um, he is slow. He gets doubled. His con isn't very good. I think dark like dark tomes are super light in this game. All the tomes are super light in this game. Um, so I don't even know if he gets weighed down by any of his tomes, but um, I, probably at least a little bit. So, he can be a little bit tricky to use, but he, as far as, like, bad characters in FE6 go, you can definitely do way, way, way worse. Ray is, is fine. He's okay. And I like using him. I've actually, I haven't used him in a while, but I used to use him on, like, every playthrough. And I'm definitely going to use him on this one as well. So, look forward to that. I, I'm sure I will be reporting back on how good he's doing. My Lou, by the way, I forgot to, to mention this earlier. I did not realize, like for a while but my Lou is crazy crazy good he has like plus five in speed from his averages it's insane i don't like i didn't give him any stat boosters so i have no idea how he like, i guess i just got lucky but damn he's really really good i i mentioned i was talking with my with my buddies and i you know talking about henning and i was like yeah henning on normal mode isn't too bad and they were like, oh, no, he's still pretty strong. And I was like, yeah, well, Lewin, Lewin packs him up no problem. He, like, doubled and did, like, eight damage. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I went and checked. And, yeah, my Lou does not, Lou does not have enough speed to double Henning on average at, at the level he was at. He, he had, like, plus – at that point, he probably had, like, plus three or four speed. It was kind of fucking insane. <laughs> uh, anyway, just thought I'd share that little tidbit. My other characters are doing all right as well. But yeah, Ray is uh, Ray's fine. He's not too bad. I, and I like using him. So I'm going to continue using him. And yeah, so that's really all there is to say about this map. You progress through. You get all the tre uh, the treasure. There's some reinforcements that come. Um, but those aren't... They make it very clear when you lose the Gaiden. Because they'll be like, yeah, we sealed up that old cave. Yeah, they'll never get in there now. <laughs> uh, so you, you just... You know, if you see that, then reset the chapter. But... Otherwise, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, it's, it's not a great map, but it's, it's fine. It's all right. It's, it's pretty decent. The killing the dragon is like the hardest part for sure. But if you brought, if you remembered to bring Durandal, if you weren't a dumbass like me and forgot to bring any dragon slaying weapons, then you're fine. And even if you do, if you have a decent mage, then they're fine too. Like they're really, really tanky. They have a ton of HP, a ton of defense. So your your regular like my strongest characters were like Shanna with a silver lance, Marcus with a silver lance, you know, like I had some pretty powerhouse guys, and they were just doing like no damage to this dragon. So you really need magic or a dragon slaying weapon. I guess theoretically it's possible to get soft locked here, but I think there's I think you get a worm slayer in Oh, and like one of the, one of the village chapters. So as long as you get that, like they make it pretty likely that you'll get that. And obviously you'll always have Roy, who's probably gotten enough kills to use the Worm Slayer by now, if you're just like an average player. So I think they, they put in some good contingencies here. Um, 
so I'm I'm not going to complain about like being able to get soft locked. It's not very likely, but I just you know it's it's worth mentioning because they they beef this dragon to shit. He's really really strong. Okay, so that's basically all there is to say about this map. They kill the dragon, they capture the throne, and the cutscene that follows is actually pretty fun and cool. Uh, it's a good character moment for Roy because what happens is that they they beat the dragon and Roy is like. Burn has, like, dozens or hundreds of these things? We are fucked. Like, he's freaking out because that one dragon was so hard to kill. And he's like, we can't do this. If there are a bunch more of these guys, we have no idea what we're going to do. But Elfin, you know, talks to him, calms him down, gets him to, to relax a little bit, and Roy regains his composure. I just think it's it's a very human moment for a character that has not had many up to this point. I mean... He had the scene with Percival that I really liked and I think kind of made him feel a little bit more relatable. You know, he's like in awe at Percival's presence, which I think is fun. Uh, and this is another one. Like Roy has some really good moments. But for the most part, I've mostly just kind of been like, eh, you know, he's like, okay, uh, a little bit generic, a little bit boring, but it is what it is. Maybe maybe it'll, he'll, he'll continue to get better as the story goes on. Anyway, uh, Elfin kind of, like, uh, debriefs with Roy, and they say, like, yeah, okay, so this confirms that Burn is working with them, etc., etc. Uh, Elfin tells them about another legendary weapon. This one is the Thunder Axe Irvin. Or not Irvin. Uh, that's the, that's Ike's Axe. Oh, it's Armads. Armads. And as long as you have successfully beaten the chapter in, in the required turn limit, then you're able to go. No problem. And we go into chapter 12X, which is called the Thunder Axe. Bandits have shown up, although this time they are actually here because of Burn. I think Burn like hired them. Uh, I mean, to be fair, this entire arc has been about Burn and Etruria working with bandits, so it's not that far fetched. The bandits have been instructed to seal up the cave, and they have not yet because they're being a little greedy and using this opportunity to find a bunch of treasure. So he's like. You know, the bandit leader is like, well, if we're supposed to block up this cave anyway, it would be such a shame if we let all this treasure go to waste. So he's ordering his goons to pick up the treasure, which, of course, is his downfall because it gives Roy and co. the perfect opportunity to come in and uh, and stop them. So this chapter is a fog of war map. And I was like, you know what? I really like Kath. I'm not using her at all in the game. Like, I, even I can't bring myself to do that. So I decided I was gonna bring her to just to give her like one one shot to impress me, um, and, and give her a little bit of a chance in the spotlight. And I mean, she she did fine. Like she got one shot by a lot of by a lot of the brigands, but she had you know really high dodge, so it was fine. Obviously, like in fog of war, you know, you bring a thief to deal with the fog of war, so it was fine. I was gonna bring like Astor anyway, so it doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, the deployed slots in this the chapter are pretty low, so you can't really bring too many guys, but I, I brought all the ones I wanted to. So the gimmick of this chapter is, well, first of all, there's a couple. There's poison. Wait, is this the, is this the one that they used for, um, for Hector? Because the, the second wave of DLC just dropped for Engage. I'm pretty sure this is the one that they used for Hector, because this map comes back in FE7. Okay, yeah, so this is the, uh, <laughs> they have the, the... This cave comes back and engage, so, uh, although it is the FE7 version. But basically, there, there's a cave, and there's a bunch of chests scattered around, and thieves are trying to get the stuff in the chest, so you gotta kill the thieves, you gotta open all the chests. There's some good stuff in here. I think there's, like, a red blue, a red gem, a blue gem, and a white gem, so you got a lot of money in here. There's some elixirs, which are really good, and then a bunch of antitoxins, which aren't good, 
but they can at least like you know heal off your poison if you get poisoned in this map or you can sell them whatever uh, because yes you can get poisoned in this map there are like geysers of poison that can like, i guess that's that's the but like poison gas is coming out of the walls of the cave and depending on like you know certain spots might spew out poison gas at any moment so if you stand in a, in a in certain certain areas then you can get poisoned it's a little annoying poison is so non-effective in this game that it doesn't really matter you can just tank it off it heals after a few turns anyway you know i don't like the fact that status conditions are uh permanent in fe5 but i think for poison they could have definitely gotten away with making poison just like a permanent status condition that lasts the entire map because it's just so useless otherwise there's no there's no inconvenience to being poisoned it is like 10 total damage and then it goes away doesn't really matter uh the point is that you got to dodge the poison geysers while you go around get the chests kill the thieves um there's like a killing edge myrmidon somewhere around here that you got to be careful of um it's it's just it's fine it's a what it's a extremely extremely whatever map it's not even like there's no even in in 8x at least there was like shortcuts you could take henning was like worth talking about there's just really nothing worth talking about in this chapter it's it's super forgettable super lame and I really, really don't like that they brought it back for FE7. I mean, I guess they kind of had to because, like, he gets Armads in FE7, so why wouldn't they? But still. You kill the Berserker boss, and then that ends the chapter. Oh, uh, the... I think this boss is, like, an effeminate gay stereotype. Although, my, that, no, that I think those are the later ones. Never mind. He just, like, he, he, he talks... He talks like this... He really drags out his words. Um, they do this a couple times throughout the series. How do I how do I word this? In chapter fourteen of this game, we get a duo of warrior berserker guys. They're they're like they're like bandit twins uh, who kind of have like a fun goofy personality. They have fun music that plays, and they show up. And that archetype gets repeated throughout the series. It comes back in FE7. It comes back in FE... I want to say, like, FE9. Uh, it definitely comes back in Fates. It comes back in Engage, I think. So they have they do this a few times. Now, some instances combine this boss of Chapter 12X with the Chapter 14 guy. Because in some instances, they also, like drag out their words and and talk like this and i don't i don't i don't really get it but anyway that's I've, I've wrung out every possible interesting thing i could say about this chapter 12x is like fine it's extremely inoffensive it's not bad i would actually say i prefer it to 8x because 8x is like obnoxious more than anything uh 12x is just boring so not really not really worth talking about it a bit of an anticlimactic note to end on, unfortunately, but it is what it is. Not really a whole lot we can do about it. I mean, that's not true. I could have done, I could have done, I could have ended at 12 this time or I could have ended at 13, but no, <laughs> we ended at 12x. So it is my fault. I apologize. Anyway, after this, uh, after this chapter's over, we get a cutscene where we find out that a coup d'etat has begun in Etruria. Roritz has decided to oust the king. I think they actually already killed the king um, and are currently trying to, you know, stage a coup and take over Etruria. And Roy is immediately worried about, like, Cecilia and, 
No, okay, they didn't. T- they didn't kill the king. They took the king hostage. So now Cecilia, Percival, and Douglas are completely under Roritz's thumb because if they don't do what he says, he's just going to kill the king. So um, that's a that's a conflict that we're going to have to deal with soon. And they've also gone full mask off in like allying themselves with Burn and deciding that you know they're going to team up. And Merlinus muses that like, oh god, like the two biggest superpowers on the continent are teaming up. We're fucked. <laughs> it's game over, man. Uh, so they decide that the next thing that they're going to do is head back to the mainland and see if they can sort things out. And that is the end of the chapter. So next time we're going to be taking a look at chapters 13, 14, and 14X. So, you know, we kind of we kind of start this whole coup d'etat thing and then head into Arcadia, which will be fun. And we'll see how that plays out. We get a few few memorable new characters to talk about. All the good stuff. You know, You know how it is. In terms of this episode, I would say the best chapter, hmm, chapter 12 is like pretty good. I would say also chapter 10A is pretty fun. It's definitely one of those two. Chapter 10A is definitely a bit more of a of a hassle, I guess, or like a like a an ordeal, I suppose. It's like really really big and takes a while, but I do like the kind of the, the dynamic of like having these two separate sides of the map that like Shanna can fly between and there's like stuff going on at the top and the bottom and you got all these houses to visit uh, compared to 11a just being like a straight linear path I do like that but I honestly think I might give it to chapter 12 because I do I do like the set piece of having to figure out how to get through the narrow hallways without taking too much damage Uh, it's pretty fun and then you know being on a time limit helps of course not just on a time limit for the Gaiden but also on a time limit to make sure that you can get Kath which is a real concern because Roy, the the group that Roy always starts with is further away from Kath. If you could if you could switch Roy to the right hand group, getting to Kath would be absolutely no problem. But you can't do that, so you do need to rush Roy to like the top a little bit, and that means you kind of have to play a little bit aggressively if you want to recruit Kath, which I like. I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty fun map, so I'm gonna give it to Chapter Twelve. I think the the mid game of of Fe Six has honestly been killing it so far. And it's not going to continue as far as I as far as I remember. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, chapter twelve winner for this episode, but chapter eleven A is still going to be our reigning champ because I do think that chapter eleven A is a contender for the best map of the game. It's it's really 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 good. But chapter twelve definitely not a bad map either. Now let's check on that news. Anything news related? Let's take a look. Oh, uh, again, don't really talk about hero stuff very much, but uh, that FEH banner that just came out with Alincia on it, mm, peak, absolutely peak. Choose Your Legends was really funny this year. We got Soren, which is great. I love Soren. And Robin, I, I don't mind Robin too much. I'm surprised it took this long for female Corrin to win. Uh, and then first place was this fucking Heroes OC that I've never heard of. I think people in general just, like, kind of lukewarm on Choose Your Legends this year. So, not a whole lot really to talk about there, I don't think. Okay. I think that's it, actually. It's all it's all engaged stuff. So, not much going on in the news realm. I hope you guys are all enjoying Engage still. I know many people who have uh, played the game multiple times. I've still not started my second playthrough. I did draft. I guess I'll talk a little bit about that since there's not really much else going on. Um, I did draft Engage after I beat it for the first time. And I got a 
pretty good team, I would say. Let me take a look and see what units I got. Oh, and um, I don't think I drafted any of them, but I'm still gonna, you know, give a spoiler warning for because there's like two late game recruits that are like spoiler heavy, so just be aware of that. So if you haven't beaten the game, you might want to leave now. But I don't think I recruited, I I drafted any of them, so it doesn't matter. Okay, so my team was, and this is on hard mode, so we weren't really too, like, I wasn't really too concerned about actually having good units. Like, I mean, I tried to draft, like, good units, but I also, like, was was more okay with drafting units that I actually liked. So I ended up getting uh, Chloe, Alfred, Diamant, Citrine, Goldmary, Louis, Tamara? Yeah, Tamara. And Linden. So pretty solid group all around, I would say. Tamara is garbage. Um, and Linden isn't that bad. I'm actually really glad I got Linden because if you notice, uh, I only have two magic, <laughs> magic units. You know, so I, I was really hoping that I would get, uh, I would get Linden. I did. So that was, or Linden, and I, and I did. So that was good. And then the free units, of course, are Alir. And then we made, um, we made Fram free because, like, first early game healer, I feel like should just always be free. And then Seedal and Vander are also free, like the Jagan and the Dancer. Pretty standard draft stuff, I would say. So, you know, it, it, I haven't started this yet. I might get around to it at some point. But I, you know, my, my I was pretty lukewarm on Engage, so I'm not really in a rush to replay it. But I, I'm sure I will at some point. It was a fun game. I think that's all I have for you guys this time. Um, I already talked a little bit of the draft I just finished. I did start playing Trails of Cold Steel, but I haven't gotten very far in. And I wanted to go play it tonight, but I decided, no, I'll finish recording so that I can edit and put it out tomorrow. I'm not, I'm going to try to avoid having episodes be late because of Trails again, at least anytime in the near future. Uh, let's see, am I doing anything else? No, not really. So yeah, I think I'm good. Uh, go ahead and make sure you leave your answer to this episode's question at I Made Melee Kirby or uh, turnwheelpodcast at gmail.com. You can email that as well. And I will be sure to talk about that in the next episode. Until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day and I will see you all next time. Bye bye. <laughs>